You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's cool fact of the day is that adolescents who hit puberty earlier than their peers show signs of depression more often than those who enter puberty later, even after their peers have caught up with them on the developmental maturity scale. And it's kind of interesting, but the signs of depression showed immediately for girls, but for us boys, it took several years to show up. Just kind of goes to show that there really are some fundamental and key developmental and psychological differences between men and women. Uh, it's not like we didn't sort of know that automatically, but uh, sometimes it's interesting to dig in on the data and look at the science. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words, what it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's guest is a, a really interesting guy. He's had a, a story full of tragedy and success, and out of it came a, a nonprofit called A Human Project, which is a 501c3 company to create empowered youth. Today's guest is Wesley Chapman, who founded The Superhuman Life, and it's a program for just understanding your own true potential. When you talk about Bulletproof and the state of high performance, I don't believe it's possible to separate out food and environment 
from the psychology and emotion. Because if you get psychology and stuff wrong, you'll do food wrong. If you get food wrong, doing the psychology, the emotional, and even the spiritual work is almost impossible. So I, I don't know how to draw a line and say, I only write about food or I only write about something else. But I'm always interested in having people who are looking at human potential, having them on the show. And Wesley Chapman is, is a really interesting dude. So Wesley, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I love data. So that was a cool fact. Um, I, I, uh, I've heard that a couple of times. And that's the fun part about mathematics and data. You know, it, uh, math doesn't lie. So it's, it's uh, always interesting to fill our minds with new facts and new ideas. So speaking of facts and ideas, I, I got a couple. I, I do my research before anyone <laughs> comes on the show. Is it really true that you're the son of Dog the Bounty Hunter? It is true. Uh, he, <laughs> That's so uh, funny and it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, he's he's uh, he's dad, um, bio dad. I didn't meet him till I was 26. Um, okay. But yeah, he's he's my dad. So um, awesome. And the other thing is, and there's probably the conversation we had here about human efficiency. You really hate washing dishes. How do you, <laughs> I love that you have researched. Now I know you've done your research. Yes, uh, I do. In fact, uh, I even have fun with that when I speak with youth. I want them to create a legitimate dishwasher. I have a whole problem, a whole rant with the word dishwasher because if it's tr- if it's truly a dishwasher, why are we rinsing our dishes before we put them in? Amen, so, brother. All right? right. So I, anyway, there's more to it than that. I, I've, I've never shared this idea publicly that I can remember anyway. But here's how to biohack your dishes. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm, list- I gotta, I, is, I'm taking notes. It's going to change your life. It's going to change everyone's <laughs> life who's listening right now. Okay. Every time, you, whether you rinse your dishes or not, you put them in the dishwasher and then check this out. You take the clean dishes out and then you walk them over to the cabinet. You stick them in the cabinet. right? And then five minutes later, you take them out of the cabinet and you put them on the table. What if... For about five to eight hundred bucks, whatever it costs for a dishwasher, you just put another dishwasher right next to the one you have. <laughs> now, one of them is going to be mostly empty, and that's the one where the dirty ones go. And if you wash clean dishes twice, no one will notice. Exactly. Right? You'll never ever take a clean dish out of a dishwasher unless you're about to eat off of it, and that will save you like ten thousand hours of your lifetime or something. I, I haven't done the math. But you, you could go. get a college degree if you had a second dishwasher. It, it's like it's just math, right? Exactly. <laughs> Saving time. It's, I like efficiency. There we go. All right. I don't know if that was that groundbreaking of a secret, but I'm actually going to do that because I, <laughs> I hate wasting time. It just It's not okay to take that time that I could have been playing with my kids. And instead, right? I'm putting dishes away that I'm going to unput away like when I have dinner. Like, exactly. Ah! Anyway. Yes. And no one sees your cupboard. It's not like people are walking in your house checking your dish set. So... Anyway, well, sorry, we'll, we'll get off the, the horrible tragedy of the number of lifetimes wasted on putting clean dishes in cabinets. <laughs> and I want to talk about something maybe a little bit more important, uh, which is why are you doing what you do? And you, you went through a, a pretty amazing story. Uh, so how did you get to how did you get to where you are now where you started a human project? Well, the, the short end of that is, is that I. I had a childhood that was unlike several people, but also like millions that are out there. And that childhood started in, with being abandoned by my biological father when I was one, being abandoned by my biological mother when I was six and a half, and between the ages of one and 17, being abused in every way you can think of, physical abuse, abuse, uh, mental abuse, and even sexual abuse. And so I had quite a journey going through my young life, my my. Uh, adolescence and then even my young adulthood. And as that progressed, I started finding that the success that I was having in the entrepreneurial world 
in the entrepreneurial world, excuse me, which was great. And I was very honored and humbled to be successful. It wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't filling my tank. It wasn't what I felt like I was here to do on this earth. And so I started searching that. It was about four or five years ago that I went on this like, you know, crusade to find out what it is that makes us truly happy, what it is that makes us truly healthy. What do these words mean? What, what's the hoopla? What's the marketing? What's the actual grounded you know, facts? And in that journey, it led me to speaking at different events, speaking in different places, ultimately speaking in a public school and having an experience where my 18-minute keynote, um, when I got off the stage, I had a couple hundred youth come up and I ended up spending about four to five hours one-on-one -on -one with these youth going through their their turmoil, their stories, hearing where they were and giving them pieces of advice. And then within a matter of days, hearing back from those students saying, you changed my life forever. And, and here's what I'm doing now. And here's the advice I took and I've implemented in my life and I've never been happier. And, you know, all these different amazing, amazing stories and miracles of these youth. And in that moment, I realized that my calling, what I want to do with my life is to empower youth to have the choices and the education that I didn't have and then really give them the ability to take control of their lives regardless of their circumstances and give themselves a future that they literally thought was was limited and impossible and open their minds up to the limitlessness of what human beings are so that's where the journey you know there's a lot of stories inside of that but the you know that that's where it started and that was about a year and uh, almost 2 years ago now and since then we're now in about uh, seven different countries we've impacted roughly 50,000 youth life. These are last year's numbers. We haven't quite got all the data in for this year, but um, I go and I speak all over the, I just actually got back last night at 1 a.m. from Wisconsin, uh, spoke in uh, Amish country, Wisconsin, which was really cool. Uh, I'd never been around Amish. That was a fun experience and uh, spoke out there to a school and the community. And usually I'll go and speak and we start about six o'clock in the morning uh, with some pre uh, conferences and conversations with at, at risk youth. And then from there, I go and do a group presentation and then spend one on one time with youth for as long as needed. And at that particular school, I believe uh, we got done at around 10 p.m. and then did a second day of the same thing, uh, talking to youth and just giving them tools to empower themselves and then handing them off to, you know, local professionals, people who can carry and help them through their, their trials. We have a lot of youth who come to us for the very first time with stories of abuse or stories of neglect or secrets they've been hiding. So it's very, very rewarding. So you're really open as something I admire about the fact that you've been abused and, and the fact you've, you've experienced uh, abandonment from both parents. And there's a, a group of people listening who are like basically saying, so what? Like you're an adult now, you don't even remember most of that anyway. Um, what, what's the big deal? Uh, and like those people really believe that stuff. Yeah, there are. And, and then there's a group of people who are, are like, it's amazing that you're sitting here in front of us because, frankly, you probably should be in prison right now with a background like that, right? Why do we have such a disparity of people who respond to a story like yours and, and such a thing? Do you have a sense for that? Knowledge. I mean, I, I think it just comes down to knowledge. And, and bad things happen to, you know, good people, right? And bad things happen to everybody. Yep. And so we, we all have our story. We all have our trials and our tribulations. And, you know, I mean we could get into my story, but it, it, when I say abuse, I use that word just cause that's a word that we can kind of wrap our minds around, but it was it, in reality. And I didn't see it this way. In fact, I remember I was being, uh, they were doing a documentary and I was being interviewed by a Disney producer who'd done a bunch of different like life, hard life stories and things like that. And they'd asked me, you know, share a story with them. And so I shared a story of 
the relationship that I have with dog houses, which most people, you know, you say I was in the dog house or you're in the dog house or whatever. And, and it's like this figurative conversation. For me, it was a, it was, it was actual, uh, that was one of our punishments wow. is that if we did something, we would be put into a dog house with a collar around our neck and then forced to eat food out of a dog dish and sleep in there. And, and, you know, there were a lot of other things that happened and we weren't clothed and all that kind of stuff. And so wow. torture is what I went through. And yeah. There is a fine line between accepting that as your only reality and that your life is going to be like you said, I'm going to go and be a murderer or I'm going to go and you know be a repeat offender, whatever it is. And then there's another line of like ignoring that those things actually left an impact on your mind. And so as people think about this, it comes down to the knowledge. It's, it's much like as you talked about like with food, we put things in our body and we don't really see anything, right? It's not like we have like this transparent stomach that's showing us our digestive process. <laughs> Which would be awesome if we had that because I think everyone would stop eating the crap they put in their bodies when you see what your body does with it. But, but we have, so we have to explain it. We have to have a conversation about it. And you know, what we knew about the brain 10 years ago was amazing compared to what we've known you know, 200 years before that. But what we found out in the last two years has surpassed what we knew 10 years ago. And so, I mean, science is just evolving at such a high speed thanks to technology finally catching up that we're starting to see these things happening. For example, the subconscious of a human of a human is fully developed by six years old. I mean, these are new things that we're studying. We've always talked about what happens between zero and eight is is kind of these form in these formational years, but the subconscious is being formed. And when you really understand the subconscious role in your body, mm -hmm. that's pretty terrifying because that means that your subconscious is being formed in a in a state of chaos. And your subconscious runs so much of your limbic system and so much of all these different things that control your moods, your happiness, the way you handle stress and pressure and, you know, the, the, the fear and all these things that happen to your life. And so if you've gone through this traumatic experience in those fundamental years, those, that's like building blocks. It's like building a building's foundation, you know, out of cheese curd. At some point, it's going to crumble and you have to have a reality and a conversation about that so that you're not, you know, sitting on the, the 72nd floor when all those cheese curds give out. I mean, so it, it really comes down to a knowledge. And, and then you have people who are oversympathetic because they don't understand the power of the human mind and of our limitlessness. And they think that, oh my gosh, because that happened to you, you're doomed forever. And then you have the people over here who are like, grow up. I went through stuff too. And, you know, I have to pay my bills and I have to take care of it. We need to draw a line in the middle that just says everyone's unique and everyone's different. And, you know, for example, some people are lactose intolerant and some people can drink 10 gallons of milk a month, you know, so we're all different and our brains are all different and our chemical levels are all different, but there are commonalities inside of us all, which give us the ability to be limitless, but without that knowledge, we don't know how to get there. I, I have never met someone who comes out with a visceral, you know, grow up, you know, my, my life was tough too, and you stop whining. Every single person without response is dealing with a substantial amount of their own trauma that they haven't figured out yet. Like it, yeah. it's clockwork. You can it always is. predict that. Yeah. yeah uh, you, so it, you it definitely can. <clears throat> it's funny. We have all this this basically stuff going on in our subconscious mind that really meditation is kind of the art of paying attention to that and sort of exactly. seeing what comes out. But you had way more chaos than the average person going on in there. <laughs> What did you do? I mean, you're relatively recently, it seems like, kind of came out of this. How did you How did you turn the cheese curd into something more substantial? Or did you just not do that? Did you kind of put in a layer of, you know, behavioral and cognitive stuff that, that works? Like, like how, how do you overcome that kind of trauma? How did you do it? 
Well, for me, it was, um, you know, there's markers in our lives. And the marker that started my new trajectory was when I was 16 years old. I'll give a little backstory to understand why it was important. Up until 16, so from the age of four and a half, my first suicide attempt was when I was four and a half years old, Jeez. which led, right, That's which led brutal. The, very brutal. And it led the medical community to kind of stepping in and saying, whoa, 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 what's going on here? And they, of course, went to the family tree and see that my dad was a convicted felon uh, on murder. And, you know, we've got my mom, who's a teen runaway. Okay, well, we put two and two together. This is a drug baby situation, which was very common in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And so they instantly just said, uh, it's a brain defect, a brain illness, mental illness. They labeled me. And at four and a half, I started medication. And so from four and a half until 16, I was on medications for mental illnesses and many which would change my my diagnoses would change i first had you know post-traumatic stress disorder and then anxiety and social anxiety and bipolar and then it was manic depression and then it was schizophrenia well, d- didn't you and, actually really have ptsd i mean you oh yeah clearly yeah. traumatized like crazy all right yeah and um and now we can't call it p uh, uh post-traumatic stress disorder we have to call it just post-traumatic stress there's a whole conversation there but <laughs> anyway so at 16 years old I'd been going through all this stuff and there's, I mean, there's all these different facets of my life. I was hiding behind money at eight and a half. I started my first business and I quickly realized that the more money I could make, the less people talked about my problems and talked about where's your dad, where's your mom. And they just focused on, holy crap, you can make $500 in a day and you're a nine year old kid. Like let's, let's talk about that. So I was, I was hiding behind money, which meant I wasn't dealing with my problems. I was just kind of, you know, putting them away. Uh, which meant when I went home and I was by myself, I was very suicidal. I tried to commit suicide 12 times before my 16th birthday. My life wasn't good. Um, I, was, I was definitely on a path of, of destruction. And a miracle happened, which at the time didn't look like that. And that miracle was is that my liver was failing. Uh, I was not you know, purifying my body. The medications had completely disabled my liver. Uh, I went into a medical professional, the same ones that were telling me, take these little pills and your whole life will be better. And they then informed me that I had an 80% chance of dying and a 20% chance of living. And in that moment, I kind of said, well, and this is like 16-year-old mentality. I said, everything you guys have told me to this point has been a complete and total lie. And so if you're telling me I'm going to die, then obviously that's a lie. And then this is kind of the 16-year-old mentality. I said, but in order to die, you have to have lived. And I've never lived. I've always been stuck in this story, in this life, in this existence. So I can't die. So my only option is to live. And I know it's 16-year-old mentality. But in that moment, I stopped all the medications, which were between, um, between the – and I was also doing some homeopathic stuff because I was trying to keep my immune system strong because a lot of the medications I was taking would weaken my immune system and I would be sick all the time. And so I was doing a bunch of things. And I was on about 20 to 25 pills every single day. And I stopped everything. I went cold turkey. Uh, I did some research. I was a big computer geek. So I did as much research as I could. I went into some libraries. I learned about colon therapy. I learned about the power of water, which sounds really simplistic. But I learned about water. I learned about colon therapy. I learned about purification. I learned about green drinks. I learned all these things. And I just started changing all of that in my life. And obviously, I lived. And my liver started you know, uh, cleansing itself and figuring things out. And my body started healing. And then at 18 years old, so two years after this moment, I went back in for testing. Uh, I was tested every few years because I was, a, I was an award of the state and I had disabilities. And so they were, you know, had to keep making sure that what was the level of my disability out was the outcome of what check, you know, I got. 
from the from the government. And so at 18, as they were about to kind of send me off on my own as an adult, they did tests again, IQ tests, ink block tests, brain mapping, sleep mapping, I mean, the whole nine yards. And everything came back opposite of what it had when I was 13, which was uh, I had massive chemical imbalances. My IQ was below below functioning. I was burdened to society, failure to thrive, all these diagnoses, all this stuff. It was all the opposite. I had a genius level IQ. My brain was functioning at a substantially high level of chemical reaction. And that got me on this this trajectory of you know the body and body hacking and mind hacking and and the conversation between our subconscious and our conscious and my whole life I was taught that that was schizophrenia right like yeah. having this conversation with myself was somehow like a weird thing and so now I realized it wasn't and that I could actually talk to my body and talk to my organs and talk to myself and really start processing this and then I started processing the feelings the emotions the pain and going through and and taking ownership of my life um, and literally, you know, for me, it was, look, I'd been abused, these things had happened, but I was continually allowing those moments of abuse to rule my life. It was like, you know, if I got molested on June 27th, 1988, I was being molested every single day of my life up until, you know, 1999 kind of a thing. And in that moment, I said, it's over. Like, I, 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 that happened to me. It was horrible, but I need to move past it. I need to heal from it. I need to forgive myself. I need to forgive the abuser. I need to for forgive the world. And so I did, and I started that process, and it was probably in my mid-20s, like 24, 25, I really felt like I had a handle on things. That's when I reached out to my biological father, and you know, every day I'm learning something new, and I'm progressing, and I'm moving forward, and as I meet new children and new adults, and I work with them, I find different and unique ways to work that out. I'm constantly, you know, as, as, as we have in common, I'm constantly body hacking and, and paying attention to what goes in my body, and what does that do, and how does that affect me? I'm a, I, I like to consider myself as my own guinea pig, but then I also, yeah. now that I have an audience, I have a few guinea pigs out there, so at some point I'll have to <laughs> apologize to them, but, uh, but it's working for them, and, and we're starting to put together true scientific resources to overcome these emotional roadblocks and to really create new pathways in the brain to, you know, to allow the neurons to you know, create new stories, to, you know, to play with some of these things, and it's funny that you talked in the very beginning of this episode we cannot separate one or the other because they all intertwine. And I don't know if you've ever read um, Dr. Lipton's, uh, I think it's called Belief of Biology. Oh, yeah, I quote him, uh, Biology of Belief, I quoted him a lot in my, my first book about pregnancy and, and why what happens in the womb matters for later in life. Right. Yes, exactly. So this concept that DNA is what it is and it's locked in this, you know, code and we are what we are based on what we, you know, what our parents were is now maybe not 100% accurate and that cells actually regenerate and create, you know, around the environment in which you put them in. So your environment, your meditation, the music you listen to, the, the, the information that you're gathering, who you surround yourself with, this has all been meditation mumbo jumbo for so many years. And now science is catching up and saying, wait a minute, <laughs> yeah. it does affect the chemical makeup of your body. So that's why I'm excited. I mean, I think we live in the most fascinating time because we are debunking so many myths at such a fast paced you know, rapid fire way that I truly see. I mean, it's Bill Gates that says, don't overestimate what will happen in the next, I think it's the next two years, but don't underestimate the great change that will happen in the next 10. I mean, it's, it's that same concept is that I believe in the next 10 years, we are going to see a complete shift in society and, and mindset and all of these things that so many of us have been fighting for the last 30 
it's just going to be like this rapid exception into the human world because what we've done to this point isn't working. Now, you said something in there that, that kind of struck a nerve for me. You said you can talk to your body, uh, you can talk to your organs. Now, is that just crazy pants? Uh, like, <laughs> no, it, it <laughs> what, what do you mean you can talk to your body? So, okay, so I'll tell you a quick story. I went to a doctor when I was uh, 17 years old who was a licensed MD and he was, he was somebody that I found and, and you know, took me about three months to get into him. And I knew that he was talking about mind over, you know, mind over matter, mind over body kind of stuff. And he was getting a lot of flack for it in the medical community. And I, that's why I wanted to go talk to him because I thought, well, he might be onto something if he's getting so many haters. And so I went in and I had a conversation, <laughs> right? Like we all know oh, that. Yeah, that's how it works. Um, and so I went and had a conversation with him and he started talking to me about the concept of where we focus our energy is where we, you know, is, is, is the outcome. So, you know, if somebody tells you that you've sprained your ankle and it really hurts, it's like this almost instant fire thing where before they said that to you, you're like, yeah, I think I sprained my ankle. But as soon as somebody says, and it really hurts, it's like, oh my gosh, my ankle, I can't believe it hurts so bad. And so he started like kind of talking some weird, you know, talk to me. And I was like, dude, I think you are like off your rocker. And um, I'm terrified of shots, hate shots. I don't love them. I'm one of those, I was one of those kids that took three nurses to pin me down and take shots. Mm -hmm. I don't, I just don't like them. He, so I told him that and he said, well, it's because your fear of that. Let me show you. And he, he showed me and he literally took a epidural, okay, and took it in his hand, took his hand out like this. I hope the audience can see this took his hand out like this and just shoved the epidural, epidural right in front of me through his hand. I'm like, you are a nut job. Like, what is your problem? And we continued having a conversation and he pulled it out. And as we're talking, he was like bandaging it up, fixing his hand. And um, I was like, dude, you've just like destroyed all the nerves in your hand. What's wrong with you? And he's like, no, I hit it in the right place. It just went straight through. Everything's fine. And, and I said, <laughs> what is wrong with you? And we started having this conversation about the power of the mind and literally visualizing certain pieces and certain things, both positive and negatively, he was visualizing there was no pain there, this wasn't happening, ignore it, we're having a conversation. And he told me it took him years of like focus and research and studies and all this stuff. And, and now I've seen, you know, super, I think it's called uh, Superhumans or something on the History Channel. Yeah. I saw a guy that was doing the same thing, this pain tolerance, they put all this stuff and mapped his brain and literally saw that he was, he was controlling his pain and fear thresholds, so he wasn't feeling that. Now, it, did do, it was doing damage to him, like there was physical damage done to his body, but he wasn't allowing it to stop himself. And so you start thinking about like these heroic stories that we hear of women lifting cars off of their children and car accidents and the adrenaline and, and the, the chemical reaction in the mind and all this stuff. And so, you know, after seeing a lot of this stuff, I just started messing around with the concept of in meditation understanding, you know, just, just visualizing your body and knowing where your liver is, knowing where your pancreas is, knowing where your gallbladders are, knowing your liver, like knowing where all this stuff is, and then just visualizing it and just talking about it being healthy. And it's, you know, it's great and it feels good. And this is where it is. And, and I suffered with migraine headaches, chronic migraine headaches. It was a side effect from one of the drugs that I had taken. And I started just visualizing and these headaches would put me in the hospital. I mean, I, I would be, you know, hospitalized for these things. And so I started visualizing and, and learned where headaches are formed and where migraines are and started visualizing that and just kind of talking to myself and saying, look, everything's cool here. We're going to really push this through. This is going to be all right. It sounds weird. It sounds crazy. And you're the first person to ever asked me about it. So it's probably even crazier because 
this is a kind of a personal thing that I don't really put out a lot of. But when I talk to children, we do talk about that. When I talk to adults, I do talk to that, mm-hmm. that, that you are focusing on these areas. And when you're labeled or you're told you can't do something, that's your focus. And so, of course, you're not going to do anything. And of course, you're going to say, I have social anxiety. I can't be around people. It's like the four-minute mile. No one can run a four-minute mile until somebody said, I can. And they did. And now, like, high school kids are running four-minute miles. You know, so it's... It's about the belief. And then again, Dr. Lipton, I, you know, I found him and I'm like, wow, I'm onto something. And so it's just this real kind of meditation conversation of knowledge and knowing what's going on. I mean, most people couldn't tell you the difference between what the small intestine does and what the large intestine does, let alone where they're located and, you know, what's going on and what's happening. And, and I mean, that's a pretty vital organ in our bodies. And so this just understanding what makes you a human being and the organs that you have and what's happening and and not necessarily accepting, you know, this the diagnoses and the labels and and I believe Dr. Lipton's whole thing studying this came from the concept of individuals being labeled or excuse me being diagnosed with cancer dying 6 months after diagnosis having an autopsy they never had cancer it was a misdiagnosis so why does the brain do that why does the brain you know why does why does somebody die when cancer wasn't even present in the body so I mean the mind yeah. is such a powerful thing that I truly believe that, you know, we are going to tap into great potential. And now we're understanding energy, energy and, and waveforms and, and what that does to our bodies and how our brain works. You know, we now know neurons focus off of light reaction. They're basically like, you know, a, a retina for the brain, which means that chemical explosion is creating the signal. I mean, we're learning so many different things about who we are as human beings And I think it's because we've kind of explored everything else, like, you know, North Pole, South Pole, we got outer space, kind of, we're figuring that out. And now it's like, we're almost coming home and being like, oh, let's start paying attention to what we have here. And this technology that we've created, like, you know, Hubble telescope, let's package that down and start looking at our own brains and what's going on inside of our own bodies. And so that's where we're starting to really progress in our knowledge and all this hippie, you know, crazy pants stuff is starting to make sense. So one, one of the things that, that really kind of pisses me off is that I have a six and an eight year old and we're just we really- awesome. Uh, cool, it's the great age, uh, great yeah. ages. You said you have, you have both or? Yeah, I have a uh, nine year old daughter and a six year old son. Okay, very, very similar. And one of the things that pisses me off the most is when, when people just use language that, that puts crap in their heads. So yeah. we, we don't use can't and if, if I say can't, they'll make fun of me. And like, that, that's great. And we say, don't, you know, it's not that I can't do that. So I'm not going to do that. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, it's really, it's not likely. But one of the things that, that people will substitute that for is let's say, oh, that's really hard. Right. And like, it doesn't have to be hard, right? Yeah. You're just working on learning it. And if you tell someone that it's hard when they're working on learning it, their subconscious, that stupid ape in there will actually believe that it's hard and it'll stay hard forever. Exactly. And, and so I, I like when I hear that, I'm, I'm like, you, you think that's hard? Like, no, let me tell you about it. It's really hard, you know. Uh, and then we make up some you know, weird, you know, like, let's fly to space without a spacesuit. That's really hard. <laughs> like, that is actually not that hard. It's just learning the guitar or whatever it is. Yeah. And just to put it in context. But the other thing is that, that idea of having a conversation with your body, still, to most people listening in their cars. Oh, yeah, they think I'm crazy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> 
They probably do, but my model, <laughs> the one I use with, with, with my clients, and, and some of them are really successful people, and, and I've had an a unusual level of success personally, and I'm, I'm grateful for it, but it's that there is a separate consciousness in your body that is not you, and its job is to keep your body from dying. Yeah. Very right. selfish as well. And, and you can talk to that consciousness. And it's way faster than you are. It thinks you're yep. slow and stupid and it's really fast, but it's really stupid. And it just doesn't have your self-interest at heart. Like its job is to make sure you have sex as much as you can, no matter if it's going to get you fired or not. Its job is to make sure you eat as much as you can, no matter how you look. right? Uh, and its job is to make sure that you either kill or run away from everything that might be a threat. And, yep. and if you let that thing run your whole life, which it will if, if you're not paying attention to it, you don't understand that, you're going to be screwed. And if exactly. you believe that you are that voice, you're just going to hate yourself. Yep. And, and when you realize, okay, I actually can talk to that voice in my head, and that voice in my head is not me. In fact, it's my bitch. Then you have a whole different conversation. And, and that's part of being able to sit in a boardroom uh, or in a really, really rough situation and be able to hold your ground. And whether it's on a street or, or somewhere else, just, just to be able to, to be there and to not recognize all that crap that all of us have that came from however we were raised, even if you have the most perfect childhood, you still get bad programming. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just like that you're willing to say, yeah, you can talk to your body. You can, and the mechanisms to do that are, are weird and, and irrational and, and not, not that well understood, but I, I appreciate that you said that. Well, it's also visualization. You know, I mean, we talk a lot about vision boards and, you know, putting out there the, the, the visualization, you will attract those things. I mean, we've had it happen a thousand times in, in, in uh, we, meaning my, my bride and I, she's got vision boards all the time. We're constantly talking and it almost will get weird. Like we were about a year ago, she put on her vision board that she wanted to live in a much more lush kind of green place. We were living uh, in San Diego, which is lush and green until you like actually get out into the California desert. Uh -huh. Um, and we just wanted to live in a little bit more of a, you know, certain place. She had a house, all this stuff. And then we ended up like kind of forgetting about that, but it was on her vision board. And as we passed it every morning and when we moved, we were packing the vision board, got everything. When we put it into the new home and we started putting the vision board up, it was bizarre how some of the photos that she had picked were actually like imagery from our backyard. We now live on top of a mountain and we have a lake behind us and we have this amazing greenery and these pine trees and all this stuff, which was the picture. The house that she had chose, the kitchen that she had identified looks very similar to our kitchen. So we will accept this concept of like a vision board and putting out what you want out into the universe and then it'll come to you, that kind of thing. But we can also visualize the state we want our body to be in as well. And as you say, the state that we want, the, I, I think that some people call that the alligator, the alligator brain or the primate brain. You know, it's, we want this to be in a certain position. And it's, it's literally saying, like, I control you. You do not control me. This is what we're going to do. This is the conversation that, that we're having here. And if you have a problem with that, get the hell out of here. I mean, it's, it's however you want to talk, right? But it's the visualization of a healthy body, of a healthy lifestyle, of, a, of, of existing in that state of mind and not accepting. I'm with you on the labels, uh, you know, and, and also with our children, this concept of can't or don't or, or, or but. I hate that. You know, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur so bad, but oh man, it's it's just like it's not good timing, or it's not this, or my family doesn't understand. And and if I had this, then I would do this. And it's like, well, then you'll never have that because you're programming yourself to always have an escape and an excuse to not do what you really want to do. So, I mean, like I said, this isn't something we can talk about in a 45 minute session. It just can kind of like get you thinking about it. 
but the facts are the facts. And now for me personally, after working with over 50,000 people and having a 95% retention rate, it works, right? This stuff works. And I mean, I could give you case study after case study. I had a, a girl who was raped 17 times. She was a cutter for, for six years. She tried to commit suicide. She'd been institutionalized six months in intensive care, drugged, everything. I spent three days living in her, in her home. Her family brought me in and I lived in their home. I saw a lot of chaos going around in the family. We fixed the diet. We fixed the you know, nutritional side. I worked with her emotionally. We've gone through things. And this is now eight months later and she's not cut. She's not suicidal. She's fully functional. She's working. She's, she's living her passion, which is photography. She's doing all these amazing things in her life. And, you know, 11 months ago, she was given up on and she was literally killing herself. And so it, it, I could give you case study after case study after case study with that. Now, obviously, the reason I chose children to work with them is they're a lot easier than a bunch of stubborn, <laughs> angry adults. So yeah. uh, it's, it's a better success rate that way. But as you mentioned in the intro, I do have an adult program called Superhuman Life, which has the same thing. You know, it's, it's, got, it's having similar success rates, not quite as high because, you know, people don't want to do the hard work, but it, it works. And guys like you and I wouldn't be having this conversation and putting our names out there in, in you know, hundreds of thousands of the listeners if it didn't work at some level. Uh, yeah, it, it, stuff is really important, and it, it's it's tough because I, I had my own my own set of traumas. Uh, nothing like nothing like yours, but I was born with the, the cord wrapped around my neck. And if you have birth trauma, it, yeah, you pretty much see the world as a threatening place. And you don't do it consciously; you do it unconsciously. Yeah, and you you can have an awful lot of success because you're running away from a threat. Yeah, uh, and and there's huge numbers of entrepreneurs who are <laughs> who are motivated by that kind of stuff, and it's it's actually stupid. It's stupid in that there is no rational thinking reason for it. But the the trick is, it doesn't matter if there's a rational reason because we're talking about biology. It's not rational. Like yeah. it's not computer. It, it's, there's no truth table in there. The truth table is your adult brain. This is reptile and mammals levels where there's there's very limited ability to reason. Exactly. So uh, when when I look at that though. Um, there's that sort of fear and anger kind of thing that can energize you, but there's also the hopelessness thing that sets in, and and you talk a lot about that, and you you must have experienced hopelessness multiple times as a kid with all the things that you went through, and now you talk about hopelessness in kids. What makes hopelessness happen, and what do you do to fix it, whether it's an adult or a kid? Hopelessness happens from again a lack of knowledge, a lack of expectation, or a lack of personal expectation and also a, com a constant bombardment of, you know, of things that create hopelessness, whether that's, you know, okay, I started progressing and then, you know, dad beat me again, or we started doing really well. And then, you know, mom became, you know, went back on the heroin or this happened or that, there, you know, so there's patterns, but there's also, you know, the self-talk, the self, all these things. And so hopelessness, and then there's the societal aspect of hopelessness as well, is that we want to we want to categorize people. It's not racism. It's not anything else. It's, it's categorization. We want to categorize people and saying, oh, you grew up in this type of an environment, so this is what you're going to struggle with. This is what's going to happen because here's the data that backs that up. I love data, but I also feel that we overuse data. And for some, you know, for a lot of nonprofits and a lot of government agencies and whatnot, data is what, you know, makes taxes go up or down or left or right. Donations come up, down, whatever. I'm not a big fan of it because you'll see some data that says, for example, we have a 60% divorce rate in the country, in the US, and then you'll see other data that says, no, it's only 26%. So, and, it, and then you look at the agendas of, of who's saying that, and it makes sense why one's higher, one's lower. 
But you have a societal positioning with these children where they say, oh, you're from this kind of economy, this kind of place, this kind of thing. You can you cannot be successful or you cannot do these things. So that creates this environment of hopelessness. You know, I remember uh, the Ask Gary V show, one of our good, you know, I believe it's a mutual friend of both of ours, yeah, is that yeah. somebody asked him a question on his show that said, hey, I don't live in Silicon Valley. Am I going to be able to do a startup? And, you know, his answer was so comical. It was like, dude, do you know where I live? Like, I live in New York. <laughs> like, you you know, and it, I could feel like him wanting to say, like, seriously, that's a question? But it is this yeah. programmed environment that the, that person was living in that somebody said, because you're not in Silicon Valley, you can't have a tech startup. And then he rattled off all these tech companies that never started in Silicon, one of which being Facebook. And so it's this, but it's that kind of concept that creates this hopelessness. So how do you burst that bubble? You have to kind of tackle every one of those things. But the first thing that you have to really identify is, is the, indivi- the individual, the unique person, what makes them tick? Like, what are they holding back from? You know, what, what have they given up on? What have they said is hopeless? Is it happiness? Is it freedom? Is it, you know, a, a certain kind of career? What is the thing that they have just shelved and said, we'll never, that will never happen because? We need to bring that back into the picture and then reverse analyze why they got to that point. Because every, every single circumstance could be unique. It could be trauma circumstance. It could be environment circumstance, social. It could be all these things. So we have to kind of pull that off the shelf evaluate it and then go backwards and say all right now walk me through why this became hopeless and then it, then you just let logic kind of take its role and it's like oh so you're saying you can't be an entrepreneur because you're growing up in this environment okay let me share some stories with you that debunks that you know and, and then all of a sudden it's like oh okay so that's not an excuse no what, what's the next level well i can't do it because you know i don't have any formal training okay let me show you where you can get that formal training or let me show you how many of the individuals that you look up to don't have formal training? So now logic starts setting in. And then once you've kind of like allowed them, and, and what I do personally is I don't, I'm not the one that, you know, brings that to the, the, the logic to the table. I allow them to do it. You know, it's kind of, I just guide them through it. And then they almost start like talking to themselves. And then they, they really like, I, most people at the end will be like, oh, so I, I really made up a lot of shit that doesn't exist. And it's like, yes, you did. So now you have figured out it doesn't exist. Now let's walk through the conversation of worth. You know, let's keep your worth up. Let's get you feeling better. Let's get you feeling like you can do this. Let's, let's create baby steps. I have a whole formula for this. It's called human. It's hope, understanding, making a choice, action, and nourishing. And hope is this concept of like, okay, you now see it. You now have hope, right? And hope isn't, oh, that guy's going to save me from a burning building. Hope is this concept of, of choosing ultimate insight over insanity, so you now have insight into making something happen that was once hopeless to you. You now see, hey, wait, it, it, there's hope here. I'm not being insane by saying it's, it's impossible or I'm limited or whatever. And then we create an understanding. You know, what do you have to do? What, what is going on? What's going on inside of you that's limiting you? What's your worth issues? What's your environment for a child? Why is your dad beating you has ha- absolutely nothing to do with who you are. That has everything to do with your father. And while you're 14 and you can't you know, defend yourself or get out of the situation, we have to realize that's dad's problem, not your problem. And here are some things you can do. Here are things that how you're reacting is your problem. So now you have, a, you have an understanding. Now, what, what choices are you going to make? Like, are you going to just continue living your life the way you've done? Or are you going to make, you know, create a new path? All right. So now you've decided to create a new path. What are your action steps? What are you going to do along that way to make sure that that happens? And then the last stage is nourishing, which yes, we talk about food. We talk about all that. 
But how are you going to nourish the hope? How are you going to nourish the understanding, nourish making that choice, and nourish those action steps, and continue to nourish you? How, be selfish. Take time for you. Find that quiet space. Find that place to communicate and build that. So now you have this pattern. You have this formula that can be used over and over and over again. We've debunked this hopeless scenario that you've created. Nobody else creates hopelessness but you. You just accept what they're telling you. And so once you understand that, somebody could, people come up to me all the time and say, Wes, what you're doing is awesome, but it's impossible. You can't keep doing what you're going to kill yourself. Like you can't go from six to midnight. You can't do these things. The body can't function. You know, you, 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 there's no way you can sit for 11 hours every day and hear these stories of these kids, you know, just telling you all this stuff. It, it's just going to, you're going to burn out. Like you're going to die. And I just look at them and I'm like, that's your belief because for me, that's not, and, you know, for me, it's an energy for me. It's like, you know, call it a superhuman, you know, state. I can absorb all this stuff, package it all up and then shoot it out. Like it's not, it, you know, that's one of the reasons that you look at like buds training and, and all the really high end military training, yep. they push you to the very edge of breaking where some people really, you know, can't, can't do it or at least they believe they can't do it and, exactly. and they check out. But everyone who does do it, like they've seen themselves do it. And if you want to make someone superhuman, you show them what they actually have inside them. Yeah. And that I think gets past a lot of that. So you know, how can someone carry a ninety-pound pack or uh, you know through just unforgivable terrain and perform at these levels that are just just un, unimaginable to most people? A big part of that is because they got the mindset, and they got the mindset the old-fashioned way <laughs> by pushing yeah. themselves, watching themselves do it, and going, "All right." I, I didn't die. I, I can handle that. And then their level of performance goes up. And I think it's the same for entrepreneurs. And it's the same for everyone else. There's a mindset. And then there's sort of seeing yourself do it. And then there's visualizing yourself do it. And all of those are about telling that, that voice in your head that it can basically pound sand right now because you're going to do what you're going to do. And it doesn't need to worry. Exactly. Um, I was just introduced to Iceman. I, I don't know his actual name, Wim, but uh, Wim Hof. Yeah, Wim Hof. I, I, I knew him he, on the show a long time ago, but I know we never did hook that up. But yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, I, I knew you'd know him, but you know that conversation with all the stuff that he's done and how he's manipulating his serotonin in his body and all these chemicals, and everyone thought he was crazy. And then he brought a bunch of scientists together, and he showed it to them, and then they still thought he was crazy, and that he was just a human anomaly. And then he taught them within, I think it was like four hours, he taught these scientists how to do exactly what he was doing. And then all of a sudden they believed it. And, you know, now they're, you know, they're, they're, rep they're replicating his results and what he's doing. So, I mean, we have these examples out there. I mean, the military is obviously one, but I mean, motherhood is one, uh, fatherhood is one. I mean, just the concept of, of doing certain things that you never thought you could or would do. And then you do them and it's like, wow, I did this. Like for me, I remember Joe DeSena from Spartan Race. He invited yep. me out to one of the races and I'm like, dude, I can't, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm, you look at me, man. I'm not like, I'm not a military Ironman guy, like kidding me. And, and Ben Greenfield was there and like, I met Ben Greenfield and I'm like, dude, you were like a specimen. Like, there's no way I can you know, do these races. And I really like believe that for months and even me, like self-talk, good guy, I'm like, man, there's no way I can do a Spartan race. And then one day I just kind of had this conversation. I was talking to Joe and he made a deal with me and he said, if you do a race, you know, I'll do this for a human project. And I was like, okay, that motivates me. That's the piece of motivation that I need. And he was like, I want you to come and run the race in uh, the Bahamas. And I'm like, okay, that's even cooler. Like I'll do a race in the Bahamas. And yet 
still I was talking to myself about, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. And I finally like shut myself up and I was like, look, you're going to do this. You're going to beat Ben Greenfield. You're going to make this thing happen. It's going to be epic. It's going to be awesome. You're going to crush it. And I ran my first Spartan race and I did do epic and it was awesome. I tore the ligam ligaments in my thumb, but you know, I still had a, I had a blast and I came home and I ended up building a, uh, an entire obstacle course in my backyard. And now that's how I do my physical exercise. It's a seven minute workout and I've, you know, done every piece of the body. So it, but it was this, even for me, there's these moments of weakness where I, I doubt myself. But as soon as, you know, you just kind of kick in and be like, wait a minute, let me do this. I did something that I thought was impossible for me and I did it very well. And I was very, you know, pleased with my results and, and it, it was fun and it was exciting. And now I'm like, yeah, bring it on. You know, I'll, I'll do the next thing and I'll do the beast and I'll do this and I'll do that. And I'll keep progressing and keep pushing myself to those next levels, which is what we do in entrepreneurialism. It's what we do in our health. It's what we do in our marriages. It's the second that we stop believing in ourselves, that's when we start seeing these problems happen. And it's in the world that we live in, and especially for our children, it's difficult because so many messages are designed to create weakness and, and no self-worth because that's, you, you can't sell, for example, a, a product to some in, in traditional marketing, which is changing. You can't sell something to somebody unless they're in this weakened emotional state. That's how we've been taught. I mean, I did marketing for 20 years. It was always about how do you convince them that they have to have this? And now we're seeing a shift, you know, which is great. We're giving information and we're giving value and then people are acting off of value. But, yeah, but there's so, yeah, there's so much conversation to our children about they're not pretty enough they're not good enough they're not skinny enough they're not big enough they're not you know this or that and and it's not like when we were kids where we occasionally watch tv because we were outside doing homework doing chores doing whatever i grew up on a farm when i finally you know started moving my life forward i had a you know i had a little farm and i was in a farm country and so i was always outside i wasn't watching a lot of tv i was going to school you know all these different things but now our kids are being bombarded with with what they're saying is about 19,000 different messages every month or, or excuse me, um, yeah, every month. And so, you know, this is just a ton of content coming at them. They're constantly on these devices, you know, just like this all day long. We're constantly being bombarded by artificial light. We're, we're, you know, we're not playing with bricks in the mud anymore, you know? And so you have all this messaging that's coming to our children. So it's, it's hard. It is really, really hard for them. And, and I would, I would venture to say that every generation has its hardships and its uniqueness and its difference and everything. But this, on a psychological level, is something we've never seen before. We, we've never had a generation grow up with technology. And now we do. And that is, it's a new challenge. It's not, it's not like, oh my gosh, gloom and doom. It's just a new challenge that we have to be conscious about. Yeah, consciousness is, is key and all that stuff. Speaking of consciousness, maybe that's going to be one of the things you talk about, but there's a, a question that everyone who's been on Bulletproof Radio uh, answers, and it's, if someone came to you tomorrow, whether they're a kid or an adult, doesn't matter, and they said, hey, uh, Wesley, I want to be better at everything I do. I want to perform better at everything in life. What are the three most important pieces of knowledge, the three things I need to know? What are they? three things that they need to know. The first thing is they need to have an honest conversation with themselves. And this is, this is difficult. It's funny. It's in three because this will be easy. Um, they need to be honest, right? They need to be honest with who they are, what they are. And, and I guess what I say by what is we have this conversation and, and there's a great podcast, uh, the one you feed, right? This conversation about 
the, I think it's like an Indian proverb or something where the, the little, little, little boy goes to his grandfather and says, which one wins, you know, the dark wolf or the light wolf or bad wolf, good wolf. And the grandfather says the one you feed. While I like that, I also completely disagree with that because it's not ignoring the other for the other. It's understanding how the two can combine. So the good and the good parts of who you are, your core identity, the, the pieces of your uniqueness, and also the things that maybe societal would be negative, right? Like I'm a very passionate, very aggressive, very, you know, driven individual. And I could take that energy and I did as a child and, and turn it into very negative things. I mean, I was a, if you've ever seen the movie Problem Child, I make that kid look like Cinderella, <laughs> right? I mean, so um, once I came to, to the understanding that, wait, I can bottle that passion and that energy and that anger le- legitimately into something good and benefit it from my, you know, my good side, which is communication and I love to sell and I love to be around people and I love to talk and all these things. If I can put those two things together, bam. So that was an honest conversation. That was something that I had to get real with myself about. What am I lying to the world about? You know, who I am, what I am, what I'm not, what I, you know, so honesty. Secondarily, then it's, then it's this concept of healing, which is how do you heal from some of the things that you believe? So changing your belief systems of the things that you've gone through. So what does that mean? I mean, everyone's unique, but what, are you, what story are you believing? Our stories are very, very powerful. And sometimes we replay those stories over and over again because it's, it's some delusion of worth to us, right? So it's like, I don't tell my story to make people feel sorry for me. I don't tell my story so that I can live it. I tell my story so it can empower people. But the average person tells their story for some level of, you know, and you got to get honest with yourself as why you do it. But they, they say for some level that they're, they're looking to be accepted, they're looking to be respected, they're, they're some form of worth. And so have you healed from that story? Could you accept, you know, could you and I be friends and you never know my childhood? Yes, I would love that. It would be amazing. We don't have to talk about my childhood. It doesn't, it's not relevant to you and I being friends. So healing from these stories and these, these beliefs that are negative for you, getting rid of your disbelief. So the healing process. And then the last process is what we talked about you know, before this, which is the hope concept, which is being able to take all of these things that you thought were hopeless, that you could never accomplish. And through honesty, you have a better understanding of your core identity and who you are. Through healing, you've moved past some of these limiting beliefs and ideas in your own mind. And now you're standing in this position of power where you're saying, look, I'm going to use these gifts, these uniquenesses, who I am to really go out and make an impact in the world, to really make a difference in society, to really change my personal, you know, income or, or belief or, or whatever it is. And you, you take this concept of hope, knowing that there's a plan, knowing that there's a path, knowing there's a way to do it, a role model, a mentor, whatever it is. So you're combining hope, you're, excuse me, you're combining honesty, healing, and hope, which creates what I call the, the H cubed, which is a whole program that I teach and going through those different things so that you create the ultimate success in your life, whether it's marriage, whether it's business, whether it's personal, whatever it is, it's giving you this. And you repeat that, you know, that formula as often as you need to based on situations. So you're, like you said, you go into a boardroom and you're trying to negotiate. What's the honesty of this negotiation? Where, where is it at? Who have you, you know, where's this at? Where's the healing process? A lot of the times the reason we get angry with people is because we were allowing something to fester, some comment, something that they did. Is that something we need to bring out on the table? If you're negotiating something, maybe it was part of the negotiation, you know, just kind of going through that. And then again, understanding how to make that happen, being in power, being in control, not allowing, like as you said, the crocodile or the primate brain to control you, but actually you being in control of it, you understanding that the limitlessness of you. So 
I mean, that, that's just, that's what I do on a daily basis and I love it. And so I'm glad you asked that question. Awesome. Wesley, where can people find out more about you? Uh, what are the URLs that are most appropriate? Um, I, I, you know, Google me, whatever, but I, I mean, I am going to just say like, go to a human project.com, um, a human project.com. All right. Yeah. A human project.com. I know everyone's busy. Um, but, uh, just go there and, and, and watch some of the stories from our youth, see what we're doing. We've got some really cool animations and stuff. So you can spend four or five minutes on our website and really know what we're up to and what we're doing. And, and that's where I would rather you focus. I mean, we've had a great conversation. We've talked, if you're someone struggling and looking for something, Google me, but you know, also you can go to superhuman.life. It's not.com. It's superhuman.life. It's a free program. I actually don't have any upsells or you know anything crazy. I do do like a retreat uh, every every quarter that we can talk about. But other than that, like it's it's a free program. Um, my passion and my mission is in serving youth. Uh, but I also understand there's a lot of adults who are still you know still not allowing that eight year old child to have a voice. And that program will help that. And also, if you're just feeling stuck, it, you know it'll kind of give you a kick in the butt to to take your life to the next level. So that would be where I where I'd love people to go to. Beautiful. Uh, Wesley, thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. Really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. If you enjoyed today's episode, do yourself a favor, head on over to bulletproof.com and try Unfair Advantage. If you're looking to do some of that deep kind of work we just talked about, whether it's meditation or just struggling with the voices in your head, having a little bit more energy in your body at the same time can only help. And it's a core part of my meditation practice, my neurofeedback practice is to upgrade my cellular function, and that's how I do it, along with a few other tricks that you've probably heard about on the radio. Have an awesome day, and stay bulletproof. So hi, my name is Kate, I live in Santa Monica. I am entrepreneur, chef, cook, but most of all, I'm a co-producer on my husband's films, and uh, I've learned about Bulletproof about two and a half years ago from one of my superstar client, which I probably shouldn't say his name, but he was bulletproof and I actually was learning through him about bulletproof concept. And when I asked him, why do you put butter and oil in coffee? He said, because it just tastes good. So um, I'm totally hooked, totally loaded on the products, which thank you so much. I could get a better price, which just makes me so happy and would really I got today was that it's not just my idea of how I like to drink my coffee, not my idea how I want to upgrade myself, get a better life, get it to others, but it also it's sense of like community and movement and I am so goddamn proud. So thank you again Dave and thank you to all bulletproofers out there for sharing the knowledge and coffee love. Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider.
This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.